Hello and welcome to the Rising Ecosystem Podcast from FDI Intelligence, where we explore the opportunities and challenges facing startups in cities around the world. I'm your host, Alex Owen Hunt, and in this episode, we've got an amazing conversation with the founder of a fast-growing startup I've been following for a while. But before we get to that, you should also know what we've done so far. Earlier in the series, I looked at the ecosystems of Austria's capital, Vienna, and Berlin in Germany, where we spoke to prominent founders there about the realities of entrepreneurship on the ground. But in the most recent episode, I went to Istanbul in Turkey, speaking to Nizim Salur, a prominent entrepreneur who is the founder and CEO of Getir, the delivery platform which pioneered the 10-minute delivery model. If you want to find out a little bit more about Istanbul's startup ecosystem, I recommend you to check that out. And if you have checked that out and liked that episode, please leave a rating and subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. But in this episode, I travel remotely to Mexico City. As a sprawling metropolis of over 21 million people, the city has been a hub of Mexican politics, religion, and trade for centuries. But now the city is becoming an epicenter for another reason, it's startups. But what are the realities of starting businesses in Mexico's largest city? To find out more, I had the pleasure of speaking with Carlos Garcia Otati, the founder and CEO of Cavac, an online platform for the buying and selling of used cars, which became Mexico's first unicorn or startup valued above $1 billion in 2020 and ha has since grown rapidly. If we look at this year, Cavac has raised over $1.4 billion in funding, expanded into Brazil and Argentina, and has plans to move to even more emerging markets in the near future. Carlos himself has been a serial entrepreneur in Latin America and other markets, formerly as the group managing director of e-commerce platform Lineo in Mexico. As you can imagine, he has a lot to say about what it's like being an entrepreneur in Mexico and Cavac's rapid journey. Without further ado, here is my conversation with Carlos. Carlos, welcome to the Rising Ecosystem podcast. Thanks, thanks for having me here, Alex. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. I'm very happy you're here, excited for this one. Now, I know you've had illustrious career and, and certainly lots of experience in different countries and at different companies. Uh, if I may, I, I'd like to start with Kavak's story. And if you could take us back to when you founded the company in 2016 and go, go into a bit of depth of the, uh, about the solution that you provide as a company. Perfect. You know, our story started a little bit before that. Uh, just to give you a little bit of context, I'm, I'm, I'm from Venezuela. I've been living across the world for the past 12 years now. And I was, I was living in Colombia back in 2012. And I was moving to Mexico uh, because I was going to start a new venture in, in, in Mexico City. And, and I had a car in Colombia before I went to Mexico. And, and in the process of trying to sell my car in Colombia, I got defrauded. Uh, and it was it was terrible. I had to leave the car in a in a, in a friend's in a friend's house for him to continue the the, the sale process, and and it actually stayed there for for a lot of months before we actually had the opportunity to sell that car. And I landed in Mexico, started working, uh, you know, uh, as an immigrant, getting my feet back together, and 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 just doing what I needed to do to to, to understand the, the the city, to understand the business that we were that we were launching. And after a few months, I needed to buy a car. And I went online to look for different options. I went offline to look for different options and I couldn't find anything. It took me like six months to find a solution, to find a car. It was in a different city. I went to that city, bought it, and I ended up going through the same process. I went selling my car in Colombia here in Mexico. I got defrauded again 
I lost a lot of money. The car was not in great mechanical conditions. And, you know, I basically had to reset again. And that sort of, you know, created a, a, a level of curiosity on me to, to try to understand how many people were going through, through, through the situation that I went through. And, and when I started to research more on, on how people were dealing with these transactions every day, everything started to change for me. I, I learned a lot of things that were fundamental on, on, on Kavak's story. The first is how different LATAM is from everywhere else in the world. 90% uh, of all transactions happen informally outside of dealerships. They happen among peers, you know, that don't know anything about cars, that don't know anything about the legal piece, the mechanical piece of a And what's crazy about it is that in those transactions, out of 10 transactions, four end up in fraud, similar to what happened to me. And it's very inconsistent. It goes from strategies, being killed, kidnapped, to losing a great deal of your money like I like like what happened to me and that was something that simply wasn't acceptable you know when I started to understand that 40% of all transactions was too high and I started to understand a little bit more on on, on, on what that meant uh, towards the market and, and you know the used car market everywhere in the world is really fragmented no, there's no difference on that in, in Latam but it's, it's a little bit more fragmented because there's more informality but what was really crazy was that if you think about the US if you think about the UK out of 10 people, seven have cars. The level of penetration is really high. In Latin America, it's closer to 1.5 out of 10 people having cars. And, and, and that translates directly on how people live. You know, in, in Latin America, people live concentrated in two or three big cities versus, you know, having small towns, small communities that can create, you know, ecosystems on their own because everybody has to come to the city to, to get jobs and, and, and nobody has transportation. Typical transportation in Latin America takes a couple of hours to get to work and terrible public transportation, a couple of hours to get back. And, 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 you know, I started to understand or try to understand why, why only 1.5 out of 10 people have a car. And, and what I learned was that banks and financial institutions didn't want to finance an asset like a used car because it did not only have the mechanical issues that, that you can find in the lemons that you find everywhere else in the world, you had the fraud issues and the legal piece. So nobody wanted to get, you know, touch those assets when it came to financing. And that's when I said, you know, we have to build something that changes this. We have to build something that one, uh, understanding that this is the, probably the most important asset that any in their life in Latin America, we need to make sure that that transaction is safe, uh, where you can take care of not having fraud and making sure that from a mechanical perspective, the car is good. And also making sure that that, that the whole experience of, 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 buying, of, of buying a car and selling a car is not only good, but you, you will have all the warranties necessary if anything goes wrong, you know, put something in the middle there. And, and, and the second piece of it was, okay, if we're going to do that, if we're going to eliminate fraud, if we're going to, we're going to work on that, we need to also work on making sure that we can create more financial inclusion. We need to make sure that our, our, our purpose and, and our objective is getting that number from 1.5 to five to seven and get people in cars that never had a car before in their life. And that became a passion project for me because when you think about it, you know, and, and, and the moment, the only thing, the only tool that you can get that's gonna automatically change your life, that minute is a car. And more so for people that don't take it for granted, that live two hours away from where they work, uh, that never had a car in their family, in, in their family community, uh, when, when you get a car into your house, you take your family to do personal things that are amazing, you use that car to go to work, you, you start to creatively think on ways to create income, the, the, the life-changing event that 
something that is is people people don't talk about it enough and and we wanted to be a part of that we from a purpose perspective we we, we saw an opportunity to if we did our job well raise middle class up up to 30 percent just through the work that we were doing in emerging markets and with that in mind i i, I said to start kavak it was a little bit i think naive on my part in 2016 because what i was saying out loud was you know what i'm gonna buy every car from peers i'm not gonna buy at auctions i'm gonna buy at your home and i'm gonna make sure that i can from a pricing perspective price every single car and buy and take and, and take ownership of those cars so i was gonna need a lot of money to do that and i, I needed I, need, I was gonna need a lot of data and technology to be able to price these cars i was saying that i was gonna also from a legal perspective be able to understand in seconds minutes what the legality aspect of that car was and this was something that was pretty much impossible back then because all the information was distributed in many places insurance companies financing companies government agencies police like you, you had to connect so many so many databases to make that happen in a place where data was not accessible and Okay, you know what? We're going to build this piece of the business and we're going to make sure that we also buy cars that are great quality. We're going to be great at understanding the quality of that car when we buy them. And that was business number one. Business number two, the moment we buy these cars, we're going to recondition every single car to take them to the standard that we wanted and, and, and to be able to offer proper warranties. But we're not only going to do that, we're going to become great at auto parts. We're going to become great at logistics. And if we do our job really well, uh, we we're going to have factories that are seven times bigger than all the OEMs combined because the used car market is seven times bigger when it's developed than the, all, the, all the OEMs. And we're going to have to set up factories that took, you know, millions and millions of square meters just to recondition cars. And I was saying that out loud. Then I'm going to build a marketplace where you're going to find all the inventory in one place. You're going to be able to buy it online and you're going to have all the warranties necessary to have, you know, the best price market relationship the, the best price to quality relationship on the market it, that i need i knew a little bit about because i built the marketplace before and and and, we'll, and finally we're going to build a financing institution to finance everybody and we're going to take risk where like nobody else has taken before because our our goal is not going to be to only serve people that today you don't have the luxury to have a car or access to a car our purpose was we're going to serve people that have never owned a car before and I said that out loud, of course, back then, everybody told me that I was crazy. This was a time when, you know, Uber without cars slide was popular. Airbnb without hotels was popular. And I was telling to the world, uh, you know what, I'm going to go, I'm going to, I'm going to verticalize. I'm going to go heavy in assets, heavy in, in, in assets. And I'm, I'm going to build something that, that can really add value to customers. And I knew that that was the approach that I needed to take because my previous business uh, led me to understand that when you're going to build a business in Latin America, you need to get ready to build several businesses because there's no infrastructure set up for you to to to, to work on top of. So I said absolutely, to... and I certainly I want to get on to your experience uh, building your other marketplace, and that that will come into later in our conversation. But you know, to summarize, basically, you've brought transparency, security, and access to financing for the used car market in Mexico. And clearly it's been very successful. And it's great to hear a little bit more about your thought process, your, your personal experiences that led up to founding Kavak. But if, if I bring it to the present now, you know, in 2021, wow. you, you've, you've grown rapidly, you've entered new markets, uh, you raised, if I'm right, over $1.4 billion in, in new funding, which is phenomenal in itself. And in one year is, uh, is, is a pretty crazy, crazy amount of money to raise. So I wonder if you could just explain a little bit about what the last year has been like 
for you uh, uh, running Kavak and, and some of your international expansion plans moving forward? Of course. You know, we spent the first couple of years heads down, you know, understanding product market fit, building the technology and, and, and really understand how to build a sustainable business. In Latin America in 2016, there was no capital. It was really difficult to raise to raise money. So we had to build a sustainable business from day one, even with all of that infrastructure. Uh, when 12, 18 months ago, when COVID hit, everything changed for us. You know, this is February, March of 2020. Uh, we, we, like everybody else, we, we were paralyzed. We didn't know what was going to happen. And, and, and our volumes went from wherever they were to 10%. And we, we stayed there for a couple of months trying to, to understand what was our role in, 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 what, in everything that was happening and, and what, what, what do we need to do? Do we need to survive this thing? Should we wait? Do we need to be aggressive? And, you know, after a month and a half, you, you know, we made a, we made a very aggressive decision to, 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 and this is March, 2020. So still there was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of unknowns, right? Uh, we, we made a decision to go on the offensive and we said, you know what? We, the world's gonna change forever. We just need to be part of this change and we need to know as a company and as entrepreneurs, what's our role in this thing? Like, how are we going to help? And we were seeing a lot of trends happening. You know, we were seeing people definitely prioritizing private transportation versus public transportation because they didn't want to get COVID. We saw people uh, uh, for sure, you know, not only suffering a, a, a pandemic crisis, but also an economical crisis in Latin America because there weren't any, any help. There weren't any incentives for the people. So people needed money. Uh, some people needed to sell their cars. Some people needed their car, but needed to mortgage their car because they didn't get money to go on through the crisis. We, we saw digitalization moving forward 10 years. Uh, people, you know, starting to use digital products in a way they've never used them before. And what we did at that point was, you know what? Let's go all in. Uh, let's 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 build our financing product that was not launched yet. Uh, and 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 in COVID, we we said if we're gonna do this right, we need to make sure that we're not only going aggressive on communicating who we are, what we solve. We need to really be able to finance people, and more importantly, in this time of crisis. And you know, 18 months in the running, we we went from 300 people to 5,000 people. Uh, which is pretty crazy on its own when you think about what that means internally. Uh, and and we, we launched operations in Argentina. We launched operations in Brazil. Uh, we, we grew the business like 20 folds. Uh, it's, been, it's been quite a ride for us in, in terms of growth and in terms of obviously processing all of that growth, you know, that, that comes so fast. And, yeah, and capital, of course, has been a consequence of, 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 of that success and, and, and of those decisions. Yeah, it's a phenomenal story. And having mentioned that growth uh, up to 5,000 people in such a short period of time, what challenges did you face in trying to hire the right talent for your operations and, and expanding into these new markets? I think like the biggest challenge that you face is, is cultural challenges, right? Like when you, when you start a company, the first five sort of set the tone for the next 10. And for the next 20 and and, and and that ball starts to roll and you know you, you you can move from 50 to 200 and not necessarily feel the pain of, of of making sure that everybody's trained that everybody understand what our purpose is what we're all about but when you go from 300 to 5,000 and and 12 and you know it, that happened in less than 14 months you know the biggest struggle that we faced was you know how spending time with the people training them making sure that they understood you know what we were all about because we're not only onboarding people, we're growing. 
we were breaking things, you know, in, in, in the process. So, so I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that, you know, that you struggle through is how can you make sure that you, you can spend enough time with the teams, all of us, the management, the middle management, spend enough time with the teams, bringing them up to speed on, you know, the pattern recognition that they have to have on a business like ours that's really complex and, 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 and trying to un- make, making them understand that, you know, we're a unique company that's growing so fast. So the way we operate, the way we make decisions has to be different from the way you were trained uh, because it's completely different, right? So uh, the, the struggle is always going to be there, making sure that you spend enough time there while you're dealing with the growth, while you're dealing with customers, while you're dealing with, cust- with, with, with capital fundraising and expansion, right? And because you're doing this in multiple languages, multiple countries, uh, it, it's, been quite a, it's been quite a ride. I can only imagine. Um... And if I may, before I want to get on to uh, Mexico's startup ecosystem and some of your experiences being an entrepreneur uh, out of Mexico City. But you talk about expansion plans and some of the countries you've expanded into, Brazil, Argentina. What's next? I I hear that you may be uh, exploring other countries to expand into. Can you give us a bit of detail on what's next for Kavak? So what we learned was that, you know, what we're solving in Kavak is is not a digital problem. It's it's a really deep problem, a trust problem, a fraud problem. And, And... and, and financial penetration problem. And what we've seen is that emerging markets, you know, we're all very similar in that sense. And when, when we took our product to Argentina, when we took our product to Brazil, we saw a very similar effect that we had in Mexico. We saw it also there. And what we want to do ultimately is try to make sure that we can bring our product to places that we can actually help. So places that are unsafe, where you have fraud, where, where, where you don't have access to financing are, are, are places that we get excited about. And, and Latin America is basically a representation of that. So we will be expanding outside of Brazil, Argentina, and Mexico across Latin America in, in the next year, for sure. We're, 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 we are still deciding which markets, we're still deciding how much resources we're going to allocate to these markets, but we're really excited about that opportunity. And we're also looking across the ocean into other emerging markets, and, and, and we're looking at you know, different countries to try to understand from a macroeconomic perspective legal perspective, if, if our product makes fit. And, and, and our ambition is to become global number one, focused on emerging markets. We, we, we want to focus you know, our, our, our time in, in places where we believe that we can make a dent and that our product is designed to helping people. Well, that's great to hear. And I wish you the best of luck with your expansion plans, whether that's further into Latin America or across the pond, as you say. Before we get on to Mexico, uh, I also want to hear your take on the used car market globally. Uh, and you say, you know, want to be global number one. There, it's quite a competitive landscape. There's lots of companies that have carved out a niche in, in particular markets. You know, Kinch comes to mind, Auto One in Germany, Kazoo in the UK. What's your kind of outlook for the used car market, given how many players there are? And more specifically, given that the automotive industry is, is shifting towards electrification, we have the environmental agenda that's top of mind. Uh, as we record this, COP26 is, is, is ongoing. So what's your outlook for the used car market, given the competitive landscape and the shift to electric vehicles? So first on, on the competitive market, I think there's amazing players on, you know, across the world trying to solve the, the, the specific problem to their country, to their region. And, and, and I think, you know, what's, what's really unique is that, you know, even though it's, 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 it's very competitive and there's, there's a lot of big players trying to solve this issue, the issue is very different everywhere. You know, in the U.S., what you're trying to solve for is very different than what you're trying to solve for in Latin America. What you're trying to solve for in Europe that is, you know, multi-country uh, import-export type of solution is very different than what you're trying to solve for in, in Latin America or even the U.S. And for us, you know, the focus is, one, on emerging markets, 
it, it's where we believe that you know a, our our product is unique and where we can you know we can go really deep to solve fraud issues, finance and accessibility issues, and and we're also you know our biggest competitor is informality. It's not these players. It's not dealers. Like we you know we we support these players. We support dealers because in the end, what we're trying to achieve is a better way. To, to, to owning a car, to using that car, not only as a mobility solution, but as also a financial health solution. So if people are working towards that, we're working towards the same mission. So we're, we're excited about, you know, like more people getting into the space, trying to solve this issue because the customer is going to win in the end. And, and that's what we care about. And, and where we try to put our focus is in informality. In terms of the used car space, the used car space is something that's only going to grow. Uh, when you think about it, you know, the used car market is probably one of the biggest recycling companies in the world uh, or recycling industries in the world. And, and, and as people understand that this asset, you know, you can get into an asset that legally is, 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 is amazing, that from a mechanical perspective, it's sound and that has all the proper warranties and you develop, you know, the capabilities to create that trust in customers. People are going to migrate more to used cars because one, financially, it makes more sense. They're already depreciated. And, 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 and it allows you to, to get into a better car. If, if you're going out to buy, you know, whatever brand of car, if you go use, your alternatives multiply by, by 100. And, 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 and I think that this is a space that's going to grow. And more when you, when you introduce financing, especially in emerging markets. Remember that, you know, Latin America, only 10% of all transactions of used cars are financed. So the opportunity to grow is, is immense. So I think it's going to grow and, and, and electrification. It's definitely, you know, we, we, we're trying to understand, you know, when, when this is going to become massive. I, I think, you know, I honestly believe that we need to electrify it. it need, the world needs to go that way. And, and what we probably are going are gonna, to are gonna be a, what, what player are we going to be doing there or our role there is going to be probably having the biggest infrastructure or network to get these cars, to get electric cars into emerging markets fast. So companies like Kabag, what they will do is they will they will allow the Teslas of the world, the, the, the Rivians of the world to get their products everywhere very fast uh, because we will have the infrastructure to do that. So uh, we, we wanna play a, a, an important role there. There's a lot to be done in terms of pricing. There's a lot to be done in terms of supply chain capability to grow and, and get, you know, and get this going. but. And not only, you know, the, the electric, you, you know, the pure electric players are, are doing an amazing job, but we're also seeing OEMs moving in that direction. And, and, and we believe that we're going to play a role in helping them in, in, in that rollout. Uh, it's, it's bound to happen. Absolutely. And I'd uh, be very interested to see, see if there's any partnerships coming up between Kavak and some of those big names that you just mentioned. Now, let's bring the focus to Mexico City. I'm very keen to hear a little bit more about your experiences as an entrepreneur in that city. I'd like to start go back to what you were formerly doing before founding Kavak. You were group managing director of the e-commerce platform Lineo, which I think was the platform you're referring to earlier yeah. in our conversation and a member of the so-called Lineo Mafia. And for listeners that, that don't can't quite grasp what, what I'm referring to there, this, this is the, the idea of the serial entrepreneur, people that spill out of, of successful startups and then go on to found companies such as Kavak. And Carlos uh, himself is, a, is an example and case in point. So I wonder, what do you think the effect of Lineo has had on Mexico's startup ecosystem and some of the serial entrepreneurs that have, that have sort of given back and founded new ventures? Wow, huge. Like, I think there's, I don't know, probably like 300 companies of 
people that came out of Lino that, you know, new companies out there trying trying to new things. So, so, you know, when we started Lino back in 2002, uh, 2012, I'm sorry, we're, we're trying to build the Amazon for Latam. Uh, and we wanted to build a business that had, you know, a retail component, a marketplace component. And, and we were really naive because we thought that it was just, you know, building a website, put it out there and start selling products. And what we realized very early on was that the infrastructure wasn't there. There weren't payment gateways. There was no way for you to pay online and not have an immense fraud rejection going through that process. If you wanted to deliver a goods to somebody's home, there was no last mile logistics. You know, in these countries, you didn't have DHL, FedEx. They weren't here yet. So you had to build the infrastructure to take products to people's home. And the infrastructure here is really different than the U.S., for instance, because you have to you, ha you have to think about security concerns. You cannot leave packages outside of people's doors. You know, you have to we, we had to sort of solve all of that and, and work before even launching our, our, our product and, 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 and doing and, and, and rolling out Lino in it through eight countries. We had to figure out the basics that the basics that, you know, other entrepreneurs in the world take for granted. We didn't have them. So we had to build that. And I think, you know, the biggest effect that it had in the ecosystem was that as entrepreneurs, you know, we were the first big company outside of Brazil to, to scale fast, to go to eight countries, to, you know, selling, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of goods. We learned that, you know, to build businesses in Latin America, you have to go deep. You, you have to build several businesses. You have to be more strategic because you, you're not going to be able to build your business if you don't think about every obstacle that can come ahead. You're not going to have the capital, or at least at that, in those ages, which is like a different world from today, uh, you're not going to have the capital to go out and just burn money like crazy. You have to build something that works. Uh, it, it, you know, I, I think it, it created, you know, uh, it, let, it allowed people to understand that the best talent should be building companies. And that's something that's not real in LATAM today. If, you go, if you're in the U.S., if, the, if you're in the U.K., you know, you see the best talent building companies here. The best talents are still in their safe jobs. They're, 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 they're not keen on, you know, going out and, and eating dirt for a few years uh, uh, with a real probability of, of failure. Failure is not something that is accepted. And I think Lino brought in so many people together. We were around 3,000 people in our heights that, you know, we sort of, uh, we, we, we sort of challenged that. And we brought in talent from everywhere, and and and, and that had a, had a multiplier effect that, you know, later when Uber came into the market, Amazon came into the market, the place where they looked for talent was Lino. So so the, the, the team from Lino, you know, went on to go and lead these big companies, Amazon, Uber, uh, the DDs of the world, and then a few of us went on to build other companies. Uh, so, so I think, you know, the impact of, 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 of Lino is, is yet to be seen, it's, it's you know, Kabak, you know, it's one of those companies that's coming out of that network. You have C Brands, you know, the founder of Luna in Mexico, which is really successful as a founder that's coming out of that network. Flat, it's it's sort of a real estate place similar to Kabak. Also, you know, one of one of the people from Lino. So, you know, we're just starting to see that, and 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 I think uh, it was it was crazy at the time because bringing talent, you know, in 2013, 2014, it was really tough. Now it's it's a different game. The the Mexico ecosystem in the past two years. It has gone, I don't like, if, 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 if we were at a, you know, at a scale of one to 10, we were at 1.5 and it went to eight in terms of access to capital. Uh, now, in terms of talent, you know, you see real people with talent going out and taking on risk because they've seen some successes happen. And, and, and I think it's, it's, people are just starting to realize that Latam, Mexico is, has big, deep problems that need to be solved. 
And the way it worked in the past hundred years was really organic through family businesses. And, and now, you know, the, the venture capital world, the private equity world is, is understanding now that, you know, we can really accelerate the path to growth of these countries if we just put some more capital in and we bring more talent to build amazing solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And as you say, it's, it's completely blown up as an ecosystem, if you like, when you, you mentioned funding there and clearly there's much more access to capital now. And if we dig a bit deeper into, you know, the reality of being an entrepreneur in Mexico City, you know, we, we've talked about the positives, but what are some of the unique challenges do you think that you face as an entrepreneur and your peers have faced in Mexico City compared to some of the other locations in which you've, you've lived and worked? So well, I think, you know, Latin America emerging markets, we're all very similar. Uh, so it would be like uh, in terms of the challenge that you face. I think the first challenge that you face as an entrepreneur is one is, you know, the complete lack of understanding for failure. You know, it's it's not something that I that is accepted. It's something that is frowned upon. Like it's it, it's not right now. It's sort of like trending being an entrepreneur, but you know, <laughs> it wasn't that way. You know, back, back back a few years ago. So I think you know that lack of you know appetite for failure of the markets is something that's really different in, in, in the way you work. I I think like what I mentioned before. You know, the lack of infrastructure. You know, when you're trying to solve a problem, probably you know most entrepreneurs in in other parts of the world. You know, they're just solving one building block on top of something you here have to solve everything right you know we're building a, a data company a technological company a manufacturing company a financing company just to make sure that you know users can transact frictionless right you have to solve so many things to make it work so i think as an entrepreneur you have to be more strategic in terms of how you plan out your business plan because there's going to be a lot of things that you're not accounting for that you're going to have to that you have that you're going to have to deal with and if you're not prepared if you don't if you don't see ahead far enough that might kill your business on its own because you're going to find a roadblock that you didn't plan ahead and that roadblock is a big block so so i think you have to plan it out a little bit more and and talent you know people people here are not willing to take risks so it, bringing talent into your your vision takes more time and 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 it's a process right it's it's, it's not something that you're going to solve with a few calls it's years of 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 convincing people you I, I cannot imagine how much time i spend on linkedin you know the first few years just trying to convince people to hear me out to hear you know to, to hear out you know the opportunities in Lino, the opportunities in Galak. and i think that's very different from elsewhere in the world capital is was scarce I, I won't think that's that's the case today but i think you know because you don't have capital you also have to build businesses that are that are sustainable uh, you have to think about it differently the way you grow. You have to figure out a way to grow as fast as everybody else because if you don't, you won't get capital <laughs> because top line is what's rewarded in the markets uh, uh, today. But you, you have to be a little bit smarter in a way that you cannot you know, go and have four months of runway, 12 months of runway. You, you sort of have to plan out a fully funded business plan in every single round because you don't know. Uh, probably I'm too paranoid because I've been through a few cycles, but but but. You sort of have to understand that, you know, any any moment now, you know, most of the investors that are coming into LATAM are not from LATAM. And that, that's a big issue because if, if 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 a down cycle comes, it's easy for investors to just, you know, drop their conviction that they have into the region and, and, and go and invest where they really understand. So you have you have a big issue that, you know, 90% of the investment that's coming into the region, it's not from the region. And that's something that, that needs to change because you want, you know, local entrepreneurs you want local institutions really funding growth of, of, of our countries and, and that's something that you know it's also very different uh, from, from 
from building companies elsewhere. Those are like the few examples, not to say insecurity, you know, like, you know, when you're, when you're dealing in these markets, you, you have to deal with a certain level of insecurity for, for the employees, for the companies, inflation is, you know, Argentina, you know, it's crazy. The inflation that you live in Argentina, even Mexico, Brazil, you have to think about FX, something that you don't think about else anywhere else, anywhere else in the world. Uh, and, and you have to couple it with, you know, every country has different regimens, uh, democracies, fake democracies, like you, you have to couple that, that complexity as well. So that th those things, you know, are, are what make, I think, entrepreneur, uh, LATAM or emerging markets entrepreneurs unique because you're sort of like a doctor in the war uh, when, when, when you're building these companies, you don't, you're, you're, you're never, you know, in a, in a, in a safe place doing your thing, you, you're always in the middle of chaos. And, and that's what I love about it because, you know, in chaos, if you're quiet and you just watch, you can really one rock at a time, you can really do amazing things and, 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 and things really move the needle. Like it's, 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 it's crazy, you know, how you can change somebody's life. You know, if you see our customers and you see that, you know, 40% of our customers, they're buying their cars for the first time and they wouldn't have been able to buy a car period, if it wasn't for Kawak, and you see them evolve because when they buy a car, you know, they start to increase their wages. So they start to move from wherever they live to other places and you start to track that. You can start to see, you know, uh, how, how a community is going to evolve because of the work that you do here. And, and I'm just excited to be solving real deep issues. We're, we're not about the incremental fixes. Like it's big building block fixes. And, 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 and I think you have to be ready for that as an entrepreneur in, in Latin America and emerging markets is that if you want to build something big, there's definitely problems to be solved and there's definitely big opportunities to, to work on, but you're going to have to be comfortable with the chaos. You're going to have to be comfortable, you know, being a doctor in the middle of World War II and, you know, growing, raising capital, uh, making mistakes, breaking things. You, ha you have to be really comfortable with that. Yeah, it's back to this classic sort of adage about emerging markets, high risk, high reward, huge, huge challenges, but then huge opportunities, as you say. And, and that's why I guess as, as an entrepreneur, as you, as you mentioned earlier in our conversation, that's why you need to be solving lots of different issues, have lots of different businesses rather than just uh, solving that sort of little slice. And, and Alice, we also have an advantage, right? Because, you know, it, I've had the luxury to travel to the UK, to live in the US, to live in the UK and, and and to see, you know, sort of like, it's sort of like going into the future and see, you know, how communities can live, how things can work out. And, you know, uh, when you come and, you, and you're working in the region, the, also, the, the other thing that you have is that, you know, you, the way you can build your vision, you, you, it's, it's different because it's so in the past and, and there's so many, you can see how communities work in other places of the world that you can just coming back here and, and, and making sure that you can bring your communities to that level. I think it's something that, that is really powerful because in the end, you know, we, we are the entrepreneurs that are in Latam. We want to live in Latam. We want to live in our countries. We want to, we want to continue to be here. And, and, and for us to, to be able to do that, you know, you have to make this, this, this place better. And, and I think having the advantage of sort of like going into that time machine and going into the future and seeing what things work, coming back here and seeing how you can adapt certain things. There are things that you cannot adapt, of course, but you can sort of get inspired on, you know, uh, the from two of things when you're working in emerging markets. Absolutely. And I'm a massive champion of entrepreneurship. And this is what this podcast is all about, to speak to inspiring individuals like yourself, Carlos, and, and really going out there and trying to solve some issues. Um, if I may, you, you know, you said a lot of the funding coming in 
to Mexico is is from abroad, and perhaps that's one one area that needs to be improved more more uh, access to local funding. What what else would you like to see improved in the ecosystem to to make it easier for entrepreneurs to to found and um and and grow businesses? I think you know there's you always you you always have the incumbents right like it's 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 you you have to like as at the different governments the different regulators need to make sure that you know you create a better opportunities for new companies to arise it, it needs to be easier you know from a regulation perspective it needs to be easier from from you know the, the basic things that you need to do you know start a company like starting a company in the us i think it takes you like a, a couple of days you know here just to start a company it takes you weeks months so so there's a lot of things to be done in terms of making it just easier to get up and running fast uh, just to start a company here you can be you know six months before you can actually be live and working and there, there's a lot of things to be done there and, and that is the, the the level of of of, of difficulty varies by industry varies by the type of product that you're going to do but i think you know we need to level set that and I think that, you know, the U.S., the U.K., it's some, they, they've done an amazing job in making sure that when you want to go out and build something, it, it, it's easy to get started. I think that, that's one of the things that I would that, that I think needs to improve. And talent, again, like, you know, best talent needs to be working in startups. And, and it needs to be like sort of the, the rule. That only happens with success. That, that only happens when you see success stories. And, and that's going to take time. That's an investment, you know, but but. As that starts to happen, problems get solved better because you have better people behind it. Absolutely. And I think that's a call to action. Any, any ambitious individuals listening to this, get into startup. It's time to, to make or break uh, industries. Um, I've really enjoyed our conversation, Carlos, and thank you for being so candid and going into depth about your experiences. I wonder if there's just one main message you want to get across about Havac's journey and Mexico City as a startup ecosystem. So, so I think, you know, like what I say to everybody, you know, it, it's all about taking control. I think... It, what I like to see more is people, you know, owning their own narrative, owning their own storyline, their own their own life, and you know, taking control of that and, and and seeing people doing more interesting things, you know. And I think if that happens, you know, you know, in Kawak, inside Kawak, you know, when you see your team being themselves, when you see your team taking narrative, take, take, controlling the narrative, taking control, we we start to see amazing things happening. We see that with other founders. So so I'm I'm, I'm just excited about you know everything that's going on. I think we're the luckiest. You know, we're, we're living in the luckiest time in the world where being an entrepreneur every day is easier and we're building companies every day. You have, you know, more access to do that. And I just want to I just want to see more people do that. And, and, and hopefully, you know, uh, uh, more investors, local investors, especially betting in the countries that they live in. And I would love to for, for, for that to happen. I'm so excited for what's happened in the ecosystem in terms of investors coming in to, to Latin America to put some dollars behind it. But, you know. In the end, you know, you want you, you you want the local people to 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 drive that as well. I think that's something that 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 it's a big message that needs to get out there. You know, you, we need local people, local founders, local investors. You know, making sure that our communities grow. Wow, what an interesting conversation that was with Carlos about the realities of being an entrepreneur in Mexico and Latin America, and also Kavak's amazing journey. And I think. They'll definitely be one to watch moving forward as they expand their used car uh, marketplace across into other emerging markets. I think a few things stood out to me from that conversation. He was very much candid about the need to create apps that serve a whole host of different needs and provide solutions to a lot of the issues faced in Latin America. 
And clearly, top talent should be going to startups. And we heard that call to action. So any ambitious entrepreneurs listening in, follow Carlos's lead and jump into startups. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review. We'd really appreciate it. And even subscribe so you get access to more of our content in the future. Thank you all to all those listeners who've made it this far. I hope you've enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to seeing you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.